And here we are with the, with the Step Zero podcast once again. I'm joined by Karen, mindfulness teacher, certified coach, mentor, facilitator, uh, also the founder of the Green Space Coaching and Mindfulness. Um, Karen, welcome to this podcast. Hello. Thank you. Very happy to be here. Well, it's, it's my pleasure. And, and we've, been, we've been planning this conversation for quite a while. And mm. there are some topics that I am really eager to discuss with you. So before we get into that, let me ask you to maybe introduce yourself and, uh, and talk a little bit about your own background and eventually why mental health is such a big topic for you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, so um, my name is Karen. I'm originally from Germany. Uh, I've lived in London for the last 20 years. And yeah, what brought me to coaching, mindfulness, meditation? Why am I so passionate about mental health? It really comes from my own um, struggles, I guess, with mental ill health um, about 13 years ago when I was um, suffering from high levels of anxiety, stress, also feeling not really at my best, uh, often feeling underconfident, unsure about myself. Uh, and I guess it's uh, looking back over my life, uh, there has always been from a young age an undercurrent of anxiety in my experience. And I think it comes from having grown up with a single mom and my sister and home life uh, wasn't always easy with my mom being away at work a lot. Uh, I mean, and my mom was fabulous and really did do her best. But the, the truth also is that my sister and I spent a lot of time on our own um, after school and that wasn't easy at all. And my mom was often tired. So I guess we had to grow up from an early age and had to become independent and self-reliant from an early age. And I guess as a young child, as young children, that did create a lot of anxiety because life felt, you know, too big in a way to sort of get on with on our own. Uh, so that created anxiety and that had been and stayed with me for a long time for most of my adolescence adolescent time and adult time until I found uh, mindfulness and meditation which really uh, completely changed my life so that's really why I'm so um, yeah, interested in mental health and helping people to um, maintain and sustain good mental health understand themselves better and what they can do uh, to have better mental health. Yeah. And thanks for thanks for sharing, Karen. And did, did you know back then that you would become a coach, or is it something that that uh, evolved, let's say, over time? Yeah, yeah. Back then, uh, I mean, when I was young, I didn't. I I wanted to be a vet. I loved animals, and I wanted to help animals. So I think I've always been sort of a bit of a healer and carer. Um. But actually, my first career uh, was in linguistics. I've always also been very interested in languages, and I loved going abroad. I loved different cultures, and so I decided to study linguistics. I thought I, I would perhaps work in the European Union. That at some point was interesting to me. 
um, but that felt too bureaucratic when, when I came closer to it. Actually, I ended up uh, specializing in film translation and subtitling, uh, film subtitling, and that was what brought me to London. Uh, I worked in Strasbourg for a German-French television channel, Arte Television, after my studies, which was very, very interesting. That's where I learned how to subtitle films, uh, translate documentaries. And after three years of working there, I wanted to move on a bit. And uh, someone said, you know, you should try London because it's, it's a good place for film and, you know, languages. And, and it was true. I, I found a job straight away in a, at a big international subtitling and dubbing company. And that's what brought me here. Um, and then sort of my... Um, increasing levels of anxiety and stress in this very demanding job, which initially was fabulous and very interesting. That really led me to look more closely at what, what was going on for me and um, how I really did not want to live or continue living with this level of uh, not sleeping well, feeling underconfident, but sort of needing to function at a high level. So it really didn't work for me anymore. So that's when I started to look at how I could help myself. Um, someone recommended to me um, to look into coaching. Uh, I, did, uh, I did a weekend, an introductory weekend uh, to coaching. I did that and I really loved it. So that's how my uh, second career as a coach and then subsequently mindfulness trainer began in 2003. Oh. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting because um, I was sort of like thinking back at my at my own path, um, so to speak. And I also started with uh, with linguistics. I, I have a bachelor in in uh, in languages, and and I was thinking that you know I also I, I, that's that's somewhere that I could probably see myself uh, you know evolving into as well, right? Like so, it was interesting to to hear it from you. Uh, but thanks for sharing. And and Karen, so we you know we sort of like. Let's say we move into the the heat of the discussion. Let's call it and and there is a, there is a few topics that we we wanted to touch upon with you and and uh, as you know, like we when we were brainstorming prior to the recording, we were thinking, okay, based on your based on your expertise and own experience, what could be interesting to discuss? And and when we were talking, there was specifically one concept that is that of negativity bias that you that you expressed back back in our first conversation. And I found it absolutely fascinating. As I said, like I did, I did some, some of my own research uh, these days to, to sort of understand it a little bit better. But if I asked you, how would you explain uh, negativity bias? What is it, uh, what is it to you? And, and how would you explain it to people who, are, who have never heard of it? Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting area uh, to look at, uh, to understand our mind better and also our emotions and how we, experience our life and we know so much more from neuroscience now and what's going on in our brain and um, we know from neuroscience now that uh, in the untrained mind uh, unaware mind 60 to 70 percent of our thoughts are negative which is really rather astounding and in a way makes a lot of sense if we think of you know, about how we often feel about life and 
ourselves or when someone asks us, how was your day? You know, we often begin with a moan and we list all the things that didn't go well and that didn't happen, that didn't work out, the people we didn't like, the person that, you know, said something we didn't like. So it's quite interesting and we can probably all relate to that or many of us. So this comes from our inbuilt negativity bias. And this is also something we understand much better now. And the negativity bias um, comes from evolution. It helped us survive. So as, um, as human beings, um, we, um, you know, for, for a very, very long time, for much longer than our modern life now, we lived, um, you know, as cavesmen and caveswomen, hunter and gatherers out in the wild. But, you know, we, we were pretty much like we are now. You know, we didn't, we didn't have sharp teeth and powerful claws then. We were probably a little bit more, you know, sturdy, uh, bigger build and more hairy. But we were pretty much as we are now. And, and we, had to, um, we had to defend ourselves against danger and threats. Uh, and what really helped with us was our very sophisticated brain that could detect any danger or threat in one-tenth of a second, one-tenth of a second. So it's very, very fast. So that really helped us survive. So it's, um, it helps, uh, helped us survive as, as a species. It didn't help us to be happy. You know, today, um, the emphasis is more on you know, well-being and enjoying our life and happiness and contentment. You know, we are not so concerned anymore today to survive as we needed then when we were li when we lived, you know, dangerously, let's say. Uh, and it's also interesting to know that positive experiences take much longer to sink into our memory, about 12 seconds. It's much longer. Um, and this explains why we so easily focus on challenging situations, moments, uh, difficult things. Yeah, the, the mind is immediately there. Whereas if um, positive events happen, which always happen, yeah, every day, every moment, there are also positive, enjoyable, beautiful events happening. But because we have a negativity bias, we focus more on the negative and then the good stuff passes us easily by if we are unaware. And that can be, uh, we can train our brain to notice more of the good stuff and dwell in it. And so then yeah, we can really foster positive emotion by doing that. That's a really clear way of explaining it. Um, thank you for that. I, you know, would you say based on this that, um, you know, since statistically, let's say 60 to 70% of our thoughts are negative, should we consider that our baseline? I mean, if we are sort of like, let's say biologically hardwired for negativity, is it, is it then very normal to be, to be let's say, negative uh, at, uh, at, at, our, at, our base, uh, at our base condition rather than happy? Yeah, I think um, really, yes, the, the short answer to that is yes. 
And that, of course, has an effect on us. And the good news is our brain is plastic. It can change. We also know this now from neuroscience. Yeah, so this is why I find mindfulness is so helpful. Yeah, the, uh, uh, that offers us ways of training the mind, yeah, of noticing our tendency to focus on the negative and to um, become more aware of it. And by becoming more aware of focusing on the negative, of immediately sort of hooking on the stuff that doesn't work or someone who looks at us a little bit grumpily and hooking onto that. Yeah, that's where the mind goes because of the negativity bias. But when we become aware of that, we can counterbalance the negativity bias by beginning to notice, yeah, five to 10 enjoyable things per day, things we appreciate. Things that, um, yeah, that, that are just good. Yeah? So to let in the good stuff. We can really every day practice that. And that, that's a very enjoyable practice. Yeah? And when we do dwell in uh, enjoyable things, yeah? and we stay with them a little bit more, yeah? about 12 seconds, uh, that can really change our brain. Yeah, and foster positive emotion. We 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 will begin to feel an increase in well-being, being well. Oh, yeah, actually, yeah, today has been a good day. Yeah, because we can notice also some of the good stuff. Yeah, and then the the negative things don't have such a big uh, impact anymore. And just one thing that I I'm just thinking of is which is also fascinating that we know from neuroscience we need about five positive experiences to make up one negative experience of the same magnitude i find that fascinating yeah that just shows how strong yeah the influence the impact is of the negativity bias in the untrained mind yeah so karen what you are saying about the negativity bias is actually is actually very interesting because if i if i reflect on on my own experience right like and and to me like i said it's very it's very shocking to know that uh, that you know so such big part of our of our thoughts is uh, is biased towards negativity but explains for example why you know even in 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 the middle of a great day when something small happens and uh, and it sort of like gets into my brain like a buzzing bee and i cannot get rid of that thought and then all of a sudden i think okay my day is ruined just because just because this one thing happened and that is because you know like you said like it takes it's almost like five times stronger compared to positive experiences so it takes one small thing to really sort of like contaminate all your all your positive thoughts and this is you know this is very it will be probably a very familiar um thought with people who are used to uh, you know either seeing things black or white so rather than thinking um you know okay i've had a good day something something not so great happened but let's look at the bigger picture and uh, and and let's label this day as still being a good day um or people who and i'm one of them who tend to uh, you know, exaggerate this sort of negativity. Uh, and they always tend to think about the worst case scenario and they sort of like protect themselves from, uh, from, from it. Uh, even, if, even if such a worst case scenario is so far ahead in, in time or in the, 
or in the sphere of possibilities, right? So this explains explains so much, and uh, and I think also you know we're getting into the the idea of uh, of how to how to react to this, and you and you explain that one one very um, useful practice is to really let a few positive thoughts sink in throughout your day. Let's take you know five, ten, fifteen positive thoughts and stay with them for at least 12 seconds on average and, and really, really let them, let them sink in. And it brings me to, to the next thing that I wanted to ask you, which is, um, you know, it is very common practice for people uh, to actually escape negativity and rather trying to try to avoid it instead of, you know, facing it and, uh, and really becoming aware of it. Is this something that you see a lot in your, in your practice? And is this part of uh, you know the negativity bias that we that we just discussed? Yeah, there is a link. Definitely, there is a link. Because whenever something happens, yeah, like a threat or danger or something we don't like, yeah, whether it's externally an external event like the pandemic, yeah, or it could be a deadline or an argument we have or conflict, whatever it is, it could be very small, a very small thing, yeah, just like the weather yeah it's raining that could be uh, set could set us off into a negative uh, spiral yeah about the how we experience ourselves so yeah it's definitely linked to the negativity bias so instinctively intuitively yeah to protect ourselves we push away that which we don't like we push away difficult experience challenging experience painful experience but the trouble is, it's the very thing that um, keeps us tied to it. Yeah, it makes it worse. And the same applies to actually pleasant experiences. Yeah, with pleasant experiences, when we experience yeah um, joy and we have fun and we are maybe I, for example, when I'm out and about in nature, I'm on a long walk. I'm, you know, I'm happiest uh, then or. We, we, we spend a nice dinner with friends or just watch a nice movie and, and are relaxed. But, you know, we can easily go into wanting to hold on to the pleasant experience and not wanting to let it go. Yeah? And both pushing difficult experience away and wanting to hold on to pleasant experience, not wanting that to end, is the very thing that causes us a lot of suffering that causes us a lot of difficulty so i call that uh, the paradox of mindfulness it's a paradox yeah when we experience difficulty we immediately go into uh, doing everything to not feel anxiety for example or to not feel stressed or to not feel overwhelmed yeah or sad only for yeah the sadness to become bigger or more more intense yeah for the anxiety to be even more heightened for the stress level to be even higher yeah so for us to when we feel anxious or stressed to feel calm and confident for example we really need to feel the feeling we really need to feel anxiety yeah and bring curiosity to it yeah where do we feel it in the body yeah 
what's the quality of that anxiety in the body? How does it feel? Where is it in the body? So that's meeting the feeling where it is. Yeah, feeling the feeling as it is. And when we do, when we bring awareness to our experience, it changes. Yeah. Uh, and we need to bring kindly awareness to it, compassionate awareness, if you like, or compassionate acceptance. Yeah, being with the experience as it is, rather than pushing it away or wanting it to be different. Yeah, and when we do, when we can really relax into our experience, whether it's pleasant or unpleasant, it changes. Yeah, so awareness is really transformative. And the awareness needs to have that attitude of kindness, care, openness, compassion. And then when we bring awareness to a situation, uh, we naturally feel more calm. We naturally feel more confident by the mere act of being mindful of it, by being able to be with it, alongside it. Would you say, because, you know, I'm, I might oversimplifying things, of course, so forgive me if I do that, but would you say that, you know, many people sort of resort to, you know, we speak a lot about consumerism, right, like and resort to shopping uh, or, or sort of like finding, um, finding comfort in, in buying unnecessary things or maybe, you know, doing, doing drugs or, or consuming alcohol uh, or, or um, um, I don't know, like uh, binge eating, you know, could be, could be one, one side effect. Is this, is this something that is, in your opinion, directly related to the fact that people prefer to avoid facing certain realities rather than, rather than let them sink in and let them pass by? Yeah, definitely. Definitely, yeah. Because of not wanting to be with difficult experience, particularly with difficult experience, but I always want to also include pleasant experiences because they can equally be intoxicating and painful. Yeah? Um, but particularly with difficult experiences, yes, we do have all sorts of strategies yeah, to block uh, negative experiences or we think we can block it through distractions like yeah, surfing, the internet or uh, alcohol or um, you know shopping eating yeah so we probably all have certain strategies not to feel what we feel yeah uh, but of course we also i guess many of us know that it doesn't work yeah sooner or later uh, our experience catches up with us because we cannot get rid of it yeah by overeating or having a piece of chocolate cake or another coffee or another glass of red wine or by spending more time in the internet or looking more you know at more people on facebook or whatever it is we go to yeah we all have our go-to strategies to numb to distract to not feel yeah mm. yeah mm. it's it's only a short-term uh, fix really mm. Yeah, thanks for thanks for mentioning this. I, I find it I find it fascinating. And and you mentioned compassion as one um, approach, let's say that makes that makes sense to 
to sort of like accept the 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 reality and and meet the feeling where it is right and and you as you know like in this in in the step zero podcast we often sort of like try to include the the uh, occupational sphere within the discussion so we we always tend to tie uh, whatever we discuss with situations at work, and I know that you know part of your part of your of your expertise also lies in uh, in uh, in compassion at work, in exp- in in sort of like um, transmitting as a leader compassion to other people. So starting, I assume, with self compassion, and then communicating this to 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 others around uh, around us. Um, can you maybe sort of like introduce us to to the idea of uh, of uh, being compassionate at work and yeah. why is this so important nowadays for leaders yeah particularly for leaders i guess i mean i want to say for all people everywhere yeah not just at work but particularly i think and in this time of the pandemic it's particularly helpful and supportive for leaders i think to develop a compassionate attitude towards themselves and their staff Um, and it can really help i mean this is so it's crucial really for mental well-being uh, at work particularly for leaders because they are often um, people at work who can easily feel isolated and unsupported we know now from research that leaders as soon as people move into leadership roles they feel less supported by colleagues. It's quite a lonely um, place to be a leader. And what happens when leaders put a lot of pressure on themselves, um, they feel disconnected from their own experience. And then it becomes really very hard to know what's going on for their staff. So it's crucial, particularly in times like these, Uh, to stay in healthy relationship with with one's own experience and to be able to feel as leaders what we feel and to acknowledge it, to be honest about it because leaders are human beings as everyone else and they too sometimes struggle and have a tough time and to be able to say, yeah, actually, this is tough. Yeah, this is difficult. Yeah, I feel frustrated to be able to say how they feel. Yeah, I'm, I'm at a loss. I'm, I'm sad. I'm anxious. Yeah, I'm scared about what's to come. Of course. Yeah, as we all are. So when leaders uh, begin to bring compassion yeah, to themselves, and staff can see their sort of authentic self. That's really, I think, what authenticity is. Yeah, being able to be human yeah, and to share our our humanness with others, it can bring very deep connections to others. And when staff see their leaders as human beings, yeah, then they feel they can share how they are. And it's magic, yeah, when staff members can share and feel safe to say, I'm struggling, I'm feeling anxious, uh, I struggle to work from home or you know, I fear that I will lose my job. And people can open up in that way. Um, you know, it changes. This is what I've just talked about, is this is really leaders and staff being in in what's happening right now. Yeah, and when they bring awareness to their experience and say and share what's going on, oh, 
something changes. Yeah, something is already different then, and there's connection, there's honesty, there's openness, there's safety. And then, yeah, uh, it's much easier to know what the next step might be or uh, what needs doing next at work or what the next job is. Or, yeah, then people uh, naturally know and want to do the next thing. Yeah? So it's really not always about performance, productivity. Uh, that comes naturally. I'm, I'm so convinced of it from connecting in this way, compassion. And it's really far from being fluffy or sentimental. Yeah, it takes a lot of courage to be compassionate in that way. It really means, compassion means the willingness to engage with one's experience, with one's pain, struggle, difficulty. Yeah, strength of heart to engage with what's happening honestly. And that needs a, a courageous, sturdy heart, yeah, a loving heart. And I'm really not talking here about a loving heart in a sentimental or fluffy way. I think that's often highly misunderstood. Yeah. I'm so happy I'm so happy you mentioned this because that would have been that would have would have been my follow-up question, right? Like I did, I did sort of, you know, quite some reading these days about about compassionate leadership, and one of the, uh, you know, most, I guess, um, most, uh, uh, you know, presented critiques uh, is exactly the fact that compassionate leadership is often tied with weakness, right? And yeah. You answered you answered that beautifully because, like we like we discussed all through this uh, this episode. Uh, you know, to connect with with one's own um, feelings in a way that we don't really push them away, but we face them and we let them sink in and we let them pass by is is everything but weak. And if you can if you can do that and show others that this is possible, and you create this that safe space for others to do the same, then you would be regarded as you know a very uh, obviously a very empathetic leader, but also a very strong leader compared to compared to a weak one. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely, it's crucial, and yeah, that's really my my mission to bring more understanding to what it actually means to be compassionate and particularly a compassionate leader, because of course, leaders needed them they needed for themselves to maintain good mental health and well being at work, and because they have such an impact on other people they really often set the tone in an organization they set the the culture cultural tone as well and i just think it's hugely powerful to be a compassionate leader and to lead others in that way uh, it can make a huge difference yeah can can i ask if this is something that you often encounter within within green space coaching and and i would really like to sort of touch on what you do specifically at green space coaching and whether this is something that you know specifically forming leadership is something that you are you deal with um, uh, very often yeah so i do uh, i do two things i have two strands of work one is coaching so life coaching and executive coaching so I work with private clients and I work with um, corporate clients, uh, staff members, team leaders, leaders, senior leaders. 
And my second strand is uh, mindfulness. Uh, and my specialism really is, and my particular interest is uh, in mindfulness for the workplace. So I offer tailored mindfulness programs for staff members, but also for leaders. And I do this face to face, but obviously during the pandemic, I've worked and done everything online. And the green space coaching is about um, working with my clients in nature. So I take my coaching clients, private or corporate clients, out into nature on a walk. And that's particularly helpful uh, for mental and physical health because we know the benefits of nature on our well-being and our mental health and our physical health. And um, that's really sort of what I've developed as a particular approach to my coaching work because it supports the, the inner process, the outer space supports the inner space and helps clients to think through um, issues, uh, gain a broader perspective on things slow down, feel grounded, reduce stress. So nature has a wealth of benefits that I'm tapping into when I work with my clients outdoors. And um, I just want to mention one thing which connects to the, the work that I do with leaders in particular and compassionate leaders. Um, together with my colleague, Andrew McNeil, we've developed uh, this year a... Um, new leadership program a mindful leaders program that we call radical mindful leaders program which is a six-week online program for leaders who have an established meditation and mindfulness practice and it's been a very successful program we had 10 leaders attending so we keep the groups very small 10 places and it's for leaders who are interested in mindfulness who practice meditation mindfulness and who want to explore their their uh, role as a leader and uh, who want to become more compassionate leaders uh, and to deepen their practice as leaders and yeah to have a, a greater impact on how they work with their staff how they connect and relate to their staff and organization so the next program starts in february and I'd, I'd love to hear from people uh, if, if people are interested in attending. We also have funding available. We can offer funded and partly funded places for this program, which is fantastic. That's impressive. And, and are you, you know, as we, we are sort of like approaching the end of our conversation, unfortunately, like may, let, let me ask you for, for both um, Green Space Coaching and this new program, uh, the Radical Mindful program, are you, are you sort of attracting uh, leaders from specific backgrounds? Are there any, uh, let's say, uh, either qualities or premises that leaders should, uh, should show in order, to, um, in order to be perfect candidates for, for your coaching? <laughs> there are no perfect candidates, just courageous and curious candidates. So anyone really who is interested in in you know looking at themselves you know i think all that people need to bring is a willingness and uh, courage and curiosity to 
in their own life and experience. Um, so, yeah, if if you're someone like that and who wants to explore yourself uh, more fully, please get in touch. In for coaching work, I I offer a free initial coaching conversation uh, to to meet to hear more about each other. I always want to know what people want to get out of coaching, um, how ready people are to do the work, um, so that I also feel confident I can support clients as best as I can. And the Radical Mindful Leaders Program, uh, people can get in touch with me through the uh, greenspacecoaching.com website. We also have a website for the Radical Mindful Leaders uh, work we are doing, but maybe it's easier to have one website, one contact to get in touch with me. Thank you, Karen. I'd I, love to hear from you. <laughs> I really hope that, uh, you know, if anything, of course, to me, this was, was an absolute pleasure and, and, and such an insightful conversation. And I, and I truly hope, which, you know, at the end of the day, this is exactly the purpose of this podcast, that through this conversation and thanks to this, uh, to this recording, people will be even more familiar with your, with your activity and, and hopefully somebody who's, uh, who's tuning in uh, finds this interesting and, uh, and will reach out to you to, to know more. So I really encourage everyone who's listening to this to you know, give a shout to Karen and, 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 and connect with her on, on, the, on the greenspacecoaching.com website or you know, through LinkedIn like, uh, like, like we did. Um, I can assure you that Karen is a, is a super approachable and kind person and, and she really <laughs> deserves the, the, the attention that she's due. So, um, Karen, I really thank you for, for doing this. It was, uh, it was an absolute pleasure and I hope we can do this again very soon. Oh, thank you very much, Matteo. It's been a great pleasure for me too. Very interesting talking with you. Thank you. Thank you.